What the hell is the name of this song? It's Wayne's World. The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-shoe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ballsy, the episode that we have always been waiting for, the one where I've done away with both Kevin and Barry. Uh, Barry Horn is on vacation. Kevin Sherrington, I believe, is in somewhere along the Amazon River on his way to Rio. I believe we sent him via boat and then a canoe. And it's just me, Evan Grant, here in the Dallas Morning News studios for this episode of Ballsy, the baseball edition, that we are joined, or I am joined, by a um, very special guest, Thad Levine, Rangers Assistant General Manager, who joins us on the phone from Baltimore. Thad, good morning. How tired are you? I actually slept very well last night. I feel very rejuvenated. <laughs> How tired were you at 3 p.m. or 3.05 p.m. yesterday? You know, the, the trade deadline is such an exhilarating part of the annual process for us, and you, re- you really rise to the occasion. Uh, the last about hour and a half or two hours is extremely frenetic and can drain you a little bit. So once everything was said and done, we had had the opportunity to talk to all the players involved. You, you do kind of sigh of relief, and you, you kind of try to catch your breath. And it wasn't until we got on the plane to head to Baltimore that you realized how tired you really were. Yeah, I... Uh... To just recap for everybody, you guys pretty much ruled the last hour of the trade deadline like a boss yesterday with two very big trades, acquiring Carlos Beltran from the New York Yankees for Dylan Tate, uh, last year's first-round pick, a right-handed pitcher, along with fellow right-handed pitchers Eric Swanson and Nick Green. And then in the last 15 minutes, you completed a deal with Milwaukee for catcher Jonathan Lucroy and reliever Jeremy Jeffress that sent a, a, a significant package of prospects, uh, Luis Ortiz, uh, the 2014 number one overall pick, uh, or the Rangers' number one pick in 2014, and Lewis Brinson, number one pick in, I believe, 2012. So, uh, And a player to be named later will also be going to Milwaukee at some point in time. The Brewers have a chance to scout some Rangers minor leaguers and will we'll designate a, a guy, I, I assume, from a, a pool uh, at some point. So uh, you guys have improved this team offensively. You've improved it defensively in the, at the catching position, I think, and, and you fortified your bullpen. The, I, I think the one question that uh, would be on the tip of everybody's tongue is you went into this trading period feeling like starting pitching was a real priority for you, and I know you guys spent an exceptional amount of time kind of diving into the starting rotation market, but ultimately were there starters just not available or was it a question of prices being simply too high? I I think you're absolutely right. We we entered the process focused on improving our starting pitching, uh, both from a quality standpoint and from a depth standpoint. Uh, Our focus remained there throughout the the trade negotiations, which really spanned probably the last two weeks. Uh, We monitored the price to acquire starting pitching uh, very, very closely. Uh, between John and myself, we were on the phone uh, multiple times a day with the teams that had starting pitching who were at least being reported to be out in the marketplace. We, we never found a deal that we felt was truly equitable, one that we would recommend to ownership and want to pursue. And so really, one of the things that I think uh, 
Johns has done such an exceptional job at since taking this role is despite the fact that our, our focus was on starting pitching, we stayed very in tune with what the, the offensive market was, what the relief market was, just in case we needed to make an audible uh, and put ourselves in a position where we had enough preliminary dialogue with Milwaukee, with the New York Yankees, that when the starting pitchers weren't there, we were able to make a adjustment and go after offense. And we channeled our inner John Hart, where if, if you feel like you need a starting pitcher, if you don't get two offensive players, and that's exactly what we ended up doing. Well, I think you've also this club's also had a little bit of history of, hey, if you can't go out and get that that uh, high profile starting pitcher, you know sometimes the best way to improve the the pitching is is to get a better defense, and certainly with a with a strong defensive catcher and Jonathan Lucroy, who is considered one of the best uh, pitch framers in baseball, uh, that works. You know the, the previous experience obviously being getting Adrian Beltre to play third base. And that, that seems to have worked out, I think, okay for you in the long run. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think at some level, when we started evaluating our opportunities to improve our starting pitching, certainly there were a lot of big names out there that would have been very exciting for us to acquire. But at the end of the day, we got to a point where we felt adding the right catcher to the mix actually may have as, as big an impact on our overall pitching staff as anything. And that's the route we ultimately decided to pursue. So, uh, in Lucroy, what do you guys feel like like you are getting? I, the thing for me that stands out is you just haven't had a work, a really a workhorse frontline catcher uh, in a long period of time here, and you've got this guy under control through next year. I, I think I think that's the part that appeals to us the most is he's got a very reasonable option for next season. It uh, allows us to go into the off season since we weren't necessarily uh, able to address our starting pitching to the extent we have desired here. Uh, we have a very uh, cost-friendly catcher now that we can plug in, Jeremy Jeffress. We've got another uh, reliever that we can add to our stable at, at reasonable dollars, so that allows us to focus maybe more of our attention in the offseason towards acquiring that starting pitcher or signing them as a free agent. So since we missed in this cycle, it will continue to be a focus for us moving forward. But in Lucre, we feel as if we've got an extremely professional catcher, a guy whose work ethic is supposed to be bar none, and the guy who prepares uh, really is that pitching coach on, on the field. You're not, not so dissimilar from Robinson Chirinos. I think we view between the two of them now, we've got two guys capable of catching 100 games, which is an extreme uh, benefit to us, especially considering the heat throughout the summer. Uh, and we've seen injuries throughout uh, the last couple of years for a catcher. So having two guys that we think are bona fide 100-game uh, catchers is going to help our team immeasurably. Lucroy is ranked this year among catchers who have had at least 200 plate appearances, uh, and we're talking 27 in the big leagues. Lucroy is ranked third in WAR if you buy into the wins above replacement theory, and uh, his his defensive runs saved at the position are also in the top five. Uh, in addition, the the pitch framing thing stands out. He's always ranked among the top ten in pitch framing. You know, I don't think that people grasp the idea. He's not going to make a difference on a half dozen calls a game. He's not going to improve that the complexion that way. It may get you one or two calls a game, but the and the difference may not be even even that readily available. But if you get one key one and one count to go one two as opposed to two one, that can change the complexion of an entire inning, can it? Absolutely. Absolutely, Ken, and I think this guy, ever since that 
metric has become a little bit more popular in evaluating catchers' performance, I think he's always performed very well, and, and that's something that we look at very closely. And you know, what's more is, is our professional scouts who go and see him uh, feel as if their their eyes prove that out as well. So so we've got not only the metrics that suggest he's a competitive advantage, but our, our scouts believe it as well. And you know, when you're making this type of acquisition. You know, believe it or not, we, we, we try to talk to as many people who have pitched to or worked with a, a player such as this, despite the fact that he has a very established major league career. We do a ton of research and homework when we try to acquire a player of this magnitude, just because the, the offense speaks for itself. He, he's been one of the best offensive catchers in the game over his tenure. Uh, but when when you're making an acquisition, you're giving up the likes of, of Luis Ortiz and, and Lou Brinson, we want to make sure he also brings some leadership qualities, and that, that some of those numbers that you referenced earlier, you know, aren't a mirage. And so we we, we did a ton of work on this. Our pro scouts deserve a, a great deal of credit. Uh, they put us in a position to acquire this player. And then I also just want to recognize what our amateur scouts did. I mean, you referenced earlier that we traded for three first round picks, which is pretty significant. Uh, but it also speaks to the fact that in a short period of time in the organization, those guys had gained the value. Uh, to be able to be traded for an all-star catcher in Jonathan Lucroy and a potential Hall of Famer in Carlos Beltran. And that's a pretty significant credit to our amateur scouts and our player development guys to put us in a position where we were able to make those types of trades so soon after having drafted those players. Well, and, and I think the other point there on the player development and scouting side is this. It's it's easy to look at, at say, a Dylan Tate, uh, who was the key piece in the, in the Carlos Beltran deal, and see that his numbers weren't all that good at Hickory, um, a low-class A club. But, uh, on the other hand, this is one of a number of guys. I think John Daniels pointed out to the media yesterday that you guys were asked about 32 different minor leaguers, and that's aside from, obviously, the young players in the major leagues, such as Mazzara, Odor, Profar, and, and at that point, Joey Gallo. Uh you guys have, over the last two years, I think it would be safe to say you have turned, you've made the kinds of deals that a franchise seems to not be able to make but once or twice a decade in terms of moving the number of high-level prospects that you have moved and acquired probably the most high-profile players at the deadline. In Hamels last year, Lucroy this year, and, and I think People can, uh, and I've been as guilty of it as anybody in, in suggesting that you guys haven't really been able to develop a whole lot of starting pitching that's gotten to the big leagues and helped you. But what you have done is turned your players into currency year after year to kind of restock the major league club and and still keep adding players at the minor league level who have value to other clubs. And, and, and I think it all it all starts with the philosophy, which is we've always stayed as commitment building from the bottom up as we have been from building from the top down and then we've had ownership support to do so so when there's an opportunity to sign the international free agent or to, to spend in the draft they've given us the wherewithal to, to do that and to pursue that and then you just got to give kip fag and his whole scouting department so much credit for continuing to add high-end athletic uh, players to our system who have great makeup who become extremely attractive i mean i, I can tell you now that the deadline's come and gone one of the more interesting aspects about this deadline was that teams who had players that we weren't necessarily interested in tried to initiate conversation with us because they liked our young players that much that they were hoping they could drum up interest. 
so that 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 was kind of almost a first for us. And you know, Don Walkie, longtime successful scout, always said, you know, we all can think what we want of our own players, but until other teams start calling on them, uh, you don't really have a great gauge of how the industry values them. And as you referenced earlier, in that figure of 32 players, I think what was resounding was that uh, the industry has appreciated the stuff that you know that, that Kip Fag and his staff has done, and Gil Kim and and. When, before he left, and Mike Daly and now Ralph Beekstab have done on the uh, international side, they put us in a terrific position to not only pursue the players we want, but, but quite frankly, even some of the players we weren't necessarily pursuing, those teams are calling us, and, and that, that, that's really a fortuitous position for the franchise to be in. And I think the one thing that also must be stated here is you guys did manage to hold on to both Joey Gallo and Jerickson Profar, probably the two young players uh, outside of guys who have established themselves in the big league, such as Mazzara and Odor to this point, who have the most value. And you go into an offseason where if you do need to address starting pitching, and I think you will, uh, with a thin free agent market, you potentially still have more currency to go out and acquire uh, the starting pitching that may be available at that point in time. And, and I think you illuminated another point, which is when you go into the trade deadline, you're singularly focused on trying to improve your team. And as I mentioned, our, our primary focus was starting pitching. But really our overall focus was to add impact players to our team to put ourselves in a position to not only get to the playoffs, but hopefully excel when we got there. So embedded in that is you hope not to have to trade anybody off your current major league team to, to accomplish that. And you referenced it, and I won't get into great detail, but we had a number of players on our big league team who were primary targets for some of our trade partners. And so there, it took a lot of uh, effective negotiations on JV's part to get those guys out of the deal so that we felt as if any addition we made to our team was truly just that, an addition, not one where you had to like weigh, well, if we're adding this guy but subtracting this guy was the net impact. We wanted to keep our major league team as intact as we possibly could and augment it. Uh, we were able to accomplish that, but it wasn't a small feat because – as you referenced, some of the younger players that drew the most interest uh, were players that were contributing at the major league level for us. So, in uh, I think one thing that may get a little bit overlooked here is because of Lucroy's profile at this point in time and because he is a frontline catcher, maybe the idea that Carlos Beltran is 39 and is a rental, his potential impact, I think, gets overlooked a little bit. But this is a Hall of Fame-type player, um, that that is having another monster season. And I think that I'm going to guess that in the homework that you guys have done, you found that this is an Adrian Beltre-type clubhouse presence. When we looked at Carlos Beltran, I think you know the stat line speaks for itself and it obviously belies his age. Uh, the track record is exceptional. What he does in the postseason is, is well-documented. He's one of the most successful active hitters in the postseason, he's a guy that we look at as having the ability to impact our entire lineup. His profile, while probably not quite as pronounced as it once was in his career, is that of a guy who grinds at bats, switch hitter that we can drop into the middle of the order. We saw him having the ability to really complement some of our other offensive pieces, who, quite frankly, are a little bit more on the free swinging side of things, uh, and slow the game down. You know, we've seen the impact that, that guys like Shin Chu Chu have had this year for us and Jerks and Profar guys who work counts and, and, and really force the pitcher to, to, to extend themselves, he's going to be another guy who's going to do that in the middle of the order. And, and the other thing that I think is 
with the way we looked at our offense is not only were we getting Beltron and Lucroy as additions to our team, but we're a couple of days away from getting Shin Chu Chu back. And if you're able to add those three professional bats to what we felt was already a, a solid offense, we have a chance to really propel it forward. And, and I think even with the lack of starting pitching, and, and you go into this period, no, no team is is perfect and you can always add something you didn't add starting pitching through a trade that's obviously a little bit of of the risk but you've got the potential for Derek Holland and Colby Lewis both coming back at the end of this month and and I think that the, the what kind of will be silver lining here is you will have a fresh Colby Lewis in September as opposed to a guy who has an enormous pitch limit or an enormous innings count at that point and who may be starting to fatigue. And, and Evan, I think it's an excellent point, and that's something we factored in. We, we were very committed to adding starting pitching, but we believe in Derek Holland and we believe in Colby Lewis, so there was a level to which we weren't necessarily prepared to go because we do believe those guys are going to come back and be able to impact our team. Uh, right now, Derek's return targeted for August 21st and Colby's for the first week in September feels like it's a long ways away, but in practice, it's, it's three and four weeks away. If, if this group can hang on, uh, the reinforcements are on the horizon, and I think that's a very encouraging part uh, for our fan base, it's one that we don't really focus on. Everyone's kind of looking at it as a miss on the starting pitching front. Well, we just we feel as if we just need to kind of stem the tide until those two guys come back, and your points are valid. Those guys should come back and be extremely fresh at that point. Derek has made some significant progress, uh, both health-wise, and, you know, using this time extremely wisely to, to evaluate video, evaluate his mechanics, he feels like he sees something that could really help to propel him back to the state he used to be. And, and that's very encouraging for us, and we're, we're excited to see that uh, translate on the mound. But, you know, those two guys are, are far from overlooked on our part, and those guys factored into our trade deadline decisions. Uh, we weren't prepared to add a specific level because we knew those guys were going to come back. We wanted to add impact guys. We got that in the three players that we acquired yesterday, uh, but we're very excited about the return of those two guys, and I think we think they're going to really give us a huge shot in the arm come, come stretch drive. You know, I've got this crazy theory that almost an imposed one-month DL for pitchers should should almost be um, necessary if, if, if teams could come up with enough pitching depth because you're going to lose those guys, and if you don't lose those guys at some point in time, you're going to end up with fatigued guys at the end of the year. The The Cole Hamels of the worlds are the 1% in, in big league pitching, and there will I think there will be some benefits to having these guys, when they do come back, be, be fresher than what you're going to be facing uh, in September. And, and I think if you look at our 2010 and 2011 teams, You'll, you'll see we actually had a lot of injuries on those teams staggered throughout the year. Uh, one year was more offensive than, than pitching, but I think it still holds true what you're saying. The 162-game season is, is a huge grind. I think we're seeing it this year. Uh, you know, it's a very unfortunate injury to Jake Deakman, but I think what we've seen is uh, how he's performed since he's come back is he looks fresh. And you know these, these guys get really taxed throughout the course of the year. I, I absolutely think you're right. If you're if you're deep enough and the players are willing enough to do so, you know that's why teams have started talking about going to a six-man rotation or skipping a start for for pitchers throughout the course of the year. You know that those things are our coaching staff is is perpetually mindful of because they recognize just how much a, a pitcher becomes depleted throughout the season. You know, the guys like Cole Hamels are few and far between. The guys who are able to maintain. 
their performance level throughout the year. Most of these guys do have a, have a period of time during the season in which uh, they start scuffling and faltering a little bit. And if you had the depth to do it, uh, it would be a great way to manage your pitching staff. So are we on to something? Is the new market inefficiency uh, imposed vacations for pitchers? I think there probably would be a lot of proof to indicate that that would be very successful if everyone was willing to play along. Can I make a movie out? Can I make a book and a movie out of this? Do you think? I, I think you're going to get maybe the exact right actor to be able to sell that. <laughs> All right. Well, Thad, I will. Uh, I know you are at home in Baltimore, uh, and um, you're getting some time to spend with family. I, I really appreciate the time, and. Uh, this has obviously been another remarkable deadline for you guys, just in terms of of the moves that you've made and just the work that's put in. I, I would love to, at some point in time, be able to kind of illuminate for readers just what it is that, that kind of goes into that that war room over the last 48 hours. Because I know when I looked at John Daniels last yesterday afternoon, he looked as tired and as worn out as I have ever seen him. Well, you know, it's... it's as, as is the case in any deadline-driven decision-making process, uh, there's a lot of hurry up and waiting. And then when you get to get to the 20-yard line, it's, it's extremely fast-paced and intense. I, I just want to say one last time, I think our player development and our scouts put us in a great position to be able to acquire the talent we acquired yesterday. And I think something that shouldn't get lost in the shuffle is for a team that entered the, the trade deadline effectively at our payroll maximum, our ownership stepped up as stepped up and allowed us to acquire players uh, who were making significant salaries at the major league level. They were willing to let us spend some more of their money to try to win, and I think that's pretty significant. Not all teams get that latitude at the trade deadline. I'd like to think we made the most of it, uh, but you can't make some of those decisions without that support from ownership. So it was a great day all around, extremely frenetic and a little crazy down the stretch, uh, but I think that's what we live for. All right, then. Well, I appreciate the time. I will let you run. Thanks for joining us here. So there's Thad Levine, Rangers assistant general manager, with a wrap-up of everything that went on on, on trade deadline day and the Rangers thinking. Uh, it was a remarkable last hour uh, for the Rangers to put together two really significant deals. Um, I, I think that by and large the strategy with the Brewers on Jonathan Lucroy came down to after Lucroy had rejected the deal to Cleveland. Uh the Rangers and the Mets were really the only two teams that looked to be serious suitors. And it was clear early on that, that Milwaukee didn't seem to have a whole lot of interest in the Mets package. Uh, so I think that let the Rangers sit there and, pro and, and stare this team down and, and get the Milwaukee Brewers to a point where they weren't, uh, going to, ex weren't going to demand only a player off of the big league roster. Rangers gave up a big cost in Luis Ortiz and Lewis Brinson. Most of the scouts that I spoke to have, have said that they believe Ortiz will be a top half of the rotation pitcher, and he's probably the most advanced pitcher in the Rangers organization at this point in time. And, and I think this is, uh, again, a long-term issue that the Rangers have is that they haven't really been able to develop uh, pitchers from within their system who have come to the big leagues and had long-term success. But what they have done is develop enough talent that is that is uh, desired by other teams uh, to allow them to continue to reinforce their major league club. And, and, and 
They've still got two very important assets in Gallo and Profar who will be available uh, if needed to, to turn, um, turn themselves into, into pitchers over the winter. Uh, as we go forward here, the Rangers have a six-game lead on Houston or a five-and-a-half game lead on Houston with uh, two months to play in the season. They go to Houston this weekend for a big series. But uh, from, a, from a playing standpoint, the Rangers go in – uh, having won four in a row this week, this weekend over over Kansas City, and looked like they righted the ship a little bit. Houston lost three in a row before a walk off uh, win against Toronto in the 14th inning last night, and the Rangers certainly have some momentum now in the idea that they're going to be welcoming three uh, accomplished, significant additions to this team as reinforcements. The Astros, while they did protect more of their assets in the minor league system. Uh, they are going to be looking around and seeing that the only thing they did really was divest themselves of a couple of pitchers in Josh Fields and Scott Feldman. So uh, if there's a mental aspect of baseball, I think the Rangers won that as well yesterday, uh, and they can carry that over this weekend when the, when they meet the Astros. And, and if not win the division uh, in August, they certainly can, can once again grab a um, – a hammer lock on it uh, that, that would make it almost impossible for Houston to come to come back. So uh, we have managed to do a lot of baseball here in 25 minutes. I've managed not to yell at anybody. Um, and I got to tell you that after listening to myself speak for 25 minutes, I'm not that interesting. Uh, I would much rather have Kevin and Barry here yelling and screaming at me and me offering my occasional one-liners. For now, though, that'll wrap up uh, this week's edition of Ballsy, the baseball edition. I will be back with David Moore to talk about Cowboys. And thanks for listening, everybody.